Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. While the brewery might be best known for Spotted Cow, there's more to New Glarus Brewing than just that one beer. Daniel Carey, the founder and brewer, is here to talk about flavor, recipe development, specialty ingredients, and more. But first, we're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to these advertisers. Athletic Brewing Company's innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. New customers can also get 10% off their entire order with code BEEREDGE10, limit one per customer. And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. A lot of ink has been spilled writing about Spotted Cow, the behemoth flagship of New Glarus Brewing Company. But there are a few dozen beers that the brewery puts out each year, aside from Spotted Cow, that include seasonals and one-offs. It's the limited edition beers that really capture the interest and attention of beer fans, if they can get them. Recently, here at the Home Tasting Bar, two beers from New Glarus arrived, boasting chocolate as an ingredient. There is a blueberry chocolate stout and a mocha berry bock that were delightful in their own ways, never neglecting the base beer and really teasing out the chocolate. With those beers as the starting idea, I reached out to Daniel Carey. He's the co-founder and brewer at New Glarus, the company he runs with his wife, Deb Carey. Since 1993, the brewery has grown and thrived, all while staying in the confines of Wisconsin. Daniel had a long career in beer before starting his own brewery, and he'll talk about his love of certain styles, customer feedback that is sometimes slings and arrows, and sometimes loyal pride and praise. If you follow beer news, you might know that the brewery is also in the midst of a lawsuit right now, as well as a countersuit. And since that's ongoing, it's something that the brewery said they would not be able to publicly discuss. So for this show, we're just sticking with flavor and process. Daniel spoke to me from the brewery. Here's our conversation. We're getting towards the end of 2021. Do you have any idea, rough idea, how many different beers the brewery has produced in this calendar year? Um, we normally on average produce probably 15 or so beers in a given year. Although, uh, year by year, we start to rationalize that because there's a long tail of small brands that, um, kind of, uh, impact efficiency and attention. So, um, probably we're getting more towards say 12 brews, 12 or 15 brews a year. Can you talk about that long tail and that efficiency of, because I, I, people will know your brewery for the well-known brands, but sure. um, there are a lot of smaller runs that you put out every year. And I guess that that's, that's where, you know, that, that, that 15 number comes from or down to 12, right. but that's right. know, yeah, but that long tail of, can, can you sort of explain what you mean by that? 
so we have our beers, what we might call our bread and butter beers, um, uh, Spotted Cow, Two Women, uh, Moon Man. Mm-hmm. And these probably together represent um, <clears throat> 90% of our, 85% of our beers. Um, and then we have well-known seasonal beers that we bring back every year because they're popular. Staghorn Oktoberfest, Totally Naked. Um, and we usually make a, a vice beer, a hefe vice beer like Dancing Man. So these beers are expected uh, every year, um, but they're only seasonal. For example, an Oktoberfest, yeah. uh, uh, you know, once uh, uh, you get into November, that's not going to sell. So, and then, so, so we have beers that are expected. And then maybe what you're mainly referring to are the lesser brands that are even less than that. Yeah. Where do they come from? Well, they come about for um, um, marketing reasons and or just uh, uh, personal reasons. So personal reasons, I mean, we'll brew beers that I just want to brew. Pilsners, for example, are the type of beers that I will always drink first. And when we make a Pilsner, I'll, I'll keep it cold and you know, keep four or five cases somewhere cool in the house so I can keep drinking it because <laughs> we don't make that much of it. And it's simply because, um, although brewers love Pilsners, uh, they're really not so interesting to customers. So we'll brew beers that I find interesting, but maybe are not uh, going to hit it out of the park as far as sales. Because in the end, a brewery, unlike a home brewer, we have to brew beers that sell. Like any business, we we have to uh, we have to pay pay wages and yeah. uh, taxes, etc. So beers, the brewery has to be profitable. Um, in spite of that, we'll make uh, interesting, fun beers for ourselves. But then also, uh, we need to. Um, I always imagine that uh, a group of people will go out and sit around a table and drink beer. And frankly, it becomes a, come as a shock to you and your listeners. Most people really don't think about beer. They don't really care about beer. It's not something that, uh, you know, you and I probably a day doesn't go by that. We don't drink beer. We don't think about beer. We don't ruminate on the ideas. Yeah. Um, but most people, it's not really that important to them. So when they go out for a, to, for a social event, they just want to have a beer. So they're going to drink Spotty Cow. But there's always one person in the group, usually a male who's uh, an expert on beer and is going to pontificate on this or that. And I always imagine that we want to have a beer that that person will think is acceptable. And therefore, we get the papal dispensation that it's okay to drink our beer. I say that it's a, a beer that gives us street cred. You know, it's like a, like Nike has these stores where they sell these high-end shoes that people wait in line to buy. Yeah. And um, uh, I imagine these these sort of um, these groups of beers um, to fit into that category. And so there may be esoteric beers, say lambic style beers, yeah, sour beers in general, or um, highly hopped beers or uh, high alcohol beers, because in general. Um, the high alcohol, dark beers, uh, full flavored beers will score higher on the geek scale than say a beer that has good drinkability. So a lot of these beers, um, frankly, you you know, you get through about a a half a bottle and you're done. 
but they have the whiz bang that impress. Um, and so we like to make those types of beers, not only because they're fun, but because they um, garner the appreciation of the um, chattering class. And, um, <laughs> you know, as, as a brewer, um, there's certainly an ego, ego involved in brewing beer uh, that when people like your beer, um, that's their satisfaction in that. It's, you know, as an artist, uh, when people give you a thumbs up, uh, that's satisfying. Um, in the end, business is really more about, business is more akin to, to sports than it is to, to, to logic uh, counting. It's, it's about um, winning uh, and getting the adulations of your fellow tribe members. Um, so I guess that's where, those are the two reasons we brewed those types of beers. And so that's, what five percent after you take out your, yeah, your cores so. and your seasonals and yeah i would say so we might make a lambic style beer that maybe is only 20 barrels um we may make a um i don't know a a, a sour brown ale in the flemish style that's maybe 300 barrels so that gives you an idea and we're yeah. a two hundred fifty thousand barrel brewery more or less okay so gives you an order of magnitude yeah it's it's nothing to sneeze at. Um, what I've always enjoyed about you know the, those those specialty beers that you're making, um, you know the ones that that you put out, and the two that I have on my desk right right in front of me right now are the uh, blueberry cocoa stout and the mocha berry bock, um, which prompted an email conversation, which is why you're on the show this week. Um, but when when you do these beers, when you release these beers, there's very rarely a clever name attached to them. It's just simply, this is what is in this bottle. <laughs> sure. Sure. Is, that's got to be by design, right? Um, well, I guess um, partially that's really probably more a question for Deb. Okay. Uh, um, the idea of... Um, some some names that we see for beers. I, I for example, I, I I wonder. I'd like to know if maybe you know this. Is there a law that requires IPAs to have a skeleton on the label, um, I, or or a satanic figure? Um, I'm I'm not aware of such things, but I, I mean, Congress is such be. a mess these days. I mean, who yeah, the hell exactly. knows? Exactly. But um, I, I guess uh, um, it was dropped into the build back better bill. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Henceforth exactly. and forevermore. Yeah. Skeletons on IPAs. Skeleton figure yeah. on an IPA label. So we, we have a tendency to go our own way. Uh, we don't follow the crowd. Um, and Deb is very um, unique and um driven in her marketing, uh, although it's, it's subtle, but it's consistent. And I think maybe the ideas, for example, we made, uh, we make us a, a route beer, a smoke beer from time to time. And yeah. Uh, yeah, not very often, maybe once a decade or so, they're not big sellers because they're very polarizing. Uh, some people say they smell like bacon or a um, uh, uh, campfire and other people relish them, but Really, where, in the where, end, where do you fall as a brewer? I mean, you make them. Oh, but. I, I, I love, I love Ralph beers, but really, in the end, um, 
you have to be somewhat in a uh, uh, in a 500 year old pub in Bomberg to really uh, get the total feeling. Yeah. But um, but what I was going to say is is that if I make a Rauk beer and I make a test brew and I try to rein in the smoke character, Deb's Deb will say no. If you're going to make a beer and it's going to be called a smoked porter, then you better put a lot of smoke in there because if it says smoked, it should be smoked. There's nothing more disappointing than, you know, trying a beverage that that has a, a name uh, in it and then find out that it's really not there. So um, it, I, I guess she's trying to think more about the style than trying to come up with a clever name. Now, certainly our, our major brands have a theme to them. Sure. Um, but uh, I guess the, the more uh, esoteric beers are just more about styles or descriptions uh just because i know that there are a lot of rauk beer enthusiasts that listen to this show uh and there's a whole facebook group that's been built up around rauk beers really uh oh yeah this week in rauk beer dan it's uh it's 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 where you want to be um Funny. oh yeah it's uh when was the last time you did yours and when can we expect it again oh my gosh um huh. I don't, we don't have, I, I think it's been at least a decade. I think the last beer, maybe other people would know better than me. I'm always looking forward. I forget once we make something, I forget, but I'd say we made a, a smoked porter probably uh, maybe a decade ago, if okay. I, if, I, if memory serves, although we do use um, Rauk malt from time to time as a secondary uh, uh, flavor in some beers. But it's not; they're not Rauk beers. Okay. But we'll use a we'll use say cherry wood smoked um, uh, malt in some of our beers, but it's it's not not like, really a Rauk beer. What what kind of beers, for example? Weiss beers. Okay. Because that smoky character, when used at say two percent or so, kind of gives a nice complexity to that spicy phenolic character. Well, I know a lot of folks who would travel to Wisconsin if you put out a Rauk beer in the near future. So really? Uh, yeah. That shocks me. Yeah. No, it, it's this, I, it, 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 it started off as, as sort of a goof. And, uh, uh, but now there's a, there's a whole group of dedicated beer drinkers who uh, really love Rauk beer. And we, we, we are on the internet talking about them every single day. What type of uh, uh, like a a a, Weizen, a, a, Rauch, uh, a a Weizen beer or I mean everything like from a, yeah from Hell's to smoke porter to anything that has a robust amount of you know, Rauch malt in it we are oh, we're there for it and there's there's there there seems to be uh, I mean Bart Watson from the Brewers Association will, will tell you a little bit different but there seems to be an uptick in the amount of breweries that are regularly you know if maybe just even once a year um you know putting stuff out and i mean dovetail in chicago is doing some really cool stuff and the chimney creek in uh uh pennsylvania and there's there's a lot of breweries that are embracing it interesting yeah uh, and i mean i'm not saying it's going to unseat spotted cow but it might give it a run for its money <laughs> well i <laughs> I really like the Shilinkala, uh, uh smoked vice beer uh, yeah. a lot. And of course, the, I, I, I know Dovetail a little. I've been there once and they have very much a feeling of a Franconian small brewery. So I would, I'm not surprised that they're making good smoked beers. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I'm, it's, I, I, again, I'll, I'm, I'm dead serious. You will have people beating a, a, a path to your doorstep in New Glarus for, uh, for, for Raukabir when, when you put it out. So if it's not too late for the 2022 schedule. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, you know, it's funny because when we brew them, the people either like have a, they have a strong visceral response. They, they hate, hate, hate them. But then if you, and some people hate Weiss beers. So if I make a smoked Weiss beer, then I would get probably um, a double whammy of vitriol from the people that um, think there's something wrong with the beer. Uh, but it's still, it's not a bad idea. You, you'd mentioned, you know, being an artist, uh, certain amount of ego involved. Do you, do you really worry about public perception at the end of the day? Like if, if somebody comes, if, if, if you put out a rock beer and you know that it is the best that you can make and you're happy with the result. And then somebody comes up to you in the tasting room or at a festival and somebody goes, this is terrible. Do, do you take that personally? Like, does that hurt you in some way? Do you want my honest answer or uh, my yeah. macho guy answer? No, uh, I want your honest I, answer. I'm, uh, um, I'm very thin skinned. Um, uh, so yeah, it does. It does uh, bother me uh, because um, uh, I think in some ways, I'm the type of brewer that, uh, wh why do I brew? It's an artistic expression, but I, I find it in life. Um, uh, the, um, I, I was raised to believe that you are your brother's keeper, that if you're, you, you need, to, I was come from the generation that uh, ask not what uh, your country can do for you, meaning what, what can I do to make the world a better place? And beer is a, is a really nice gift to people. So if I try my best and give somebody the best gift I can, and they say this sucks. Yeah, it hurts my feelings. I'm not, um, some brewers are, you know, I meet some brewers. I, I, I meet some brewers, for example, in Belgium that, uh, well, of course I make the best beer in the world, of course. <laughs> and, um, I, uh, I envy that, um, arrogance and hubris. I don't, I don't have that. But that's okay. part of the reason why I'm continually trying to be better because I'm trying to one up myself. There was a, <laughs> I want to say it was Wisconsin versus Minnesota at some point. And there's a, a viral sign that showed up at one of the college games where it just said spotted cow is just okay. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was funny. Uh, I wasn't asking, sure if that sent you into yeah, no, 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 kind, yeah, no, no. I I figured that was actually a compliment. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was fun. Um, yeah, there's something that uh, uh, UW uh, and Green Bay Packer football are fans of uh, Spotted Cow, so I think that's really cool. And so no, I didn't take offense to that. That was um, okay. That that was that was kind of funny, actually. So personal tastes aside, though, because Rauk beer is going to be polarizing, you're right, no matter what. But when you're putting, you know, just just a, a normal, traditional beer recipe together, where do you start and how do you work through it until it passes your seal of approval to, to go out there? Because I, 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 
personal tastes aside, like if somebody comes up to you and says like, oh, I, you know, I don't really care for your, uh, you know, for, for your Hefeweizen, but then again, I don't like bananas in the morning or clove turns me off or wh- whatever it is. Yeah, right. That's going to be a personal preference kind of thing. And I'm sure you can rest easy in knowing that you've made a good beer, but where do you start when building out a recipe? Uh, uh, what's the goal of brewing the beer? Why am I brewing the beer? Uh, who am I, who am I selling this towards? So on one hand, you don't ever want to project what other people will like. That's always a, uh, a dangerous game because, uh, that usually leads to mediocrity. So I don't think in terms of that, but I do think in terms of what am I, who am I brewing this beer for the, 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 the main silent majority, I guess I'd call it of people, or is this going to be a geek worthy beer? And that will, um, help me pick a direction. Um, we, we meet, uh, Deb and I meet with our sales and team, uh, once a year. And we look at how beer is trending, what styles of beer are interesting, uh, what people are asking for. And um, that will dictate what type of beer we'll make. And then everybody will turn to me and say, okay, but Dan, what do you want to make? And I, I usually say, well, I want to make a Pilsner. And I say that every year. And <laughs> usually they say, okay, you can make 20 barrels of beer and sell it out of the brewery. Um, but that aside, that's the first thing is who's the, what style of beer and who's it marketed towards. And then, um, Usually, I'll have brewed a similar type of beer in the past. So I'll pull up old recipes and I will keep notes about maybe we made a given Bach beer. And so I have a recipe and I'll my and in my notes, I'll say it was too sweet. It was too bitter. It was not enough Munich malt. It was too much Munich malt. Try a colder temperature, whatever. And then I'll start there and I'll think about the types of malts that might be available. Um, we have a group of five or six yeasts that we use normally, but I, I also have 20 or 30 strains of yeast in storage. So I might, uh, I might blend yeasts, might try, uh, for example, when making a, a Belgian style triple or a, a vice beer, maybe I don't, maybe I want it to be, you know, Deb might say, I want it to be really banana forward, but I want the clove and cinnamon to be subdued. Well, then I, I might do a blend of yeast, for example. So um, we'll take potential malts uh, and, and lots of a potential malt because malts do vary year to year, batch to batch, especially specialty malts. And we'll do yeah. a hot steep and taste the, taste the, 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 the wort and say, how's the color? How, how's it taste? Maybe we'll do um, a, dark car- a dark caramel malt from three or four different suppliers, maltsters, and pick the best one. And from that, come up with a malt grist. Um, uh, of course, water chemistry is, is big. And then the other huge thing is how we handle it in a cellar. The malt recipe and the hop recipe and how we mash is only the beginning of the story. Really, the beer is made in the cellar. Obviously, if you taste yeah. wort versus beer, the cellar is not something that home brewers think about because they don't really have that sort of a same system as we do. But 
how brewers are unique in that we're one of the few industries that harvests, collects our yeast and reuses it. Certainly in bakeries or wineries or distilleries, normally you, you, you unless you're making sourdough or whatever, you don't normally collect your yeast and reuse it. So we have to be very, very uh, diligent in how we manage our yeast. So if, if you have really good yeast health and treat, treat your yeast properly, your beer is going to be brighter and crisper, more flavorful, less dull, better foam. So in the end, the rubber hits the road in yeast management. That's really what makes beer good or not good. So there's a lots of things that go into it. And, and I will start with a piece of paper, like writing music, and I'll write the music, um, listening to it in my head, uh, write the recipe, and then I'll get together with team leaders from all of the departments, the lab, the brew house, the cellar, and uh, we'll, I'll present the recipe and they'll, um, they'll come with their own ideas. For example, do you remember we used this yeast strain five years ago and you remember it didn't flocculate very well, so we may want to try X, Y, and Z. And together we'll generate a recipe and if it's something that's <clears throat> Uh, unique or way out in left field, um, we'll make pilot brews. If not, if it's if it's a beer that we've made like a Bach beer, or I'm really a lager brewer in the end. So yeah. if it's a Pills or a lager or an amber beer, I've made so many of them that we can just go to production. But if it's sort of an esoteric beer, we might make one, two, three, four, five, six pilot brews until we get something that we like. It's interesting to me to hear one, all of that, but going out into the world and seeing what's popular out there and then what you can do with it. Because when you said that, it, it reminded me that I, I want to say it was last summer um, or maybe it was I, everything's blending together. But recently I had a hazy slash juicy IPA from your brewery and I was so surprised when it showed up at the at, at the office um and then delighted to 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 drink it um but it's one of those those styles of beer that is so popular out there and really sort of driving growth but is not something that i would associate with with your brewery and it makes sense hearing you know the thought process behind okay what are we going to put out um how did you approach putting together a hazy ipa um, well, you know, our, our, we make a dry hopped pale ale called moon man and mm -hmm. that, uh, we, we learned years ago, never to design a hoppy, particularly dry hop beer with a single variety of hops because hops come and go. And, uh, if you can't get a variety that rest, that brand is dead. So, so this beer is made with five or six different hop varieties. And every year when hop harvest comes around, um, all the brokers and many farmers are now doing their own breeding. So I, I, we end up like probably like all brewers, we end up with 10 to 50 uh, experimental hops that uh, get dropped off at the brewery. People say, hey, try this new hop. And um you, you know, you, you read uh, like Stan Hieronymus is uh, is sort of uh, kind of um, the town crier for the uh, 
what's the cutting edge of new hops. So he writes a lot about, uh, I mean, I, I would more call him the bard, but yes. Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. Bar, the bard, there you go. The bards, that's a better word because he's extremely, <laughs> he's a beautiful writer and, uh, he, I don't know how someone can be so scientific and, and write so well, but in, in any event, all of these different hops in some ways they cause me some angst because I don't want to miss out on things. So, so we're always testing these hops and we have, we divide hops into, into groups of the, you know, this is a dank hop. This is a, a fruit forward hop. This one is more melon. This one is more citrus. This one's more pine. So, so we get an idea of what these hops are. And I always think, man, you know, moon man exists. We have a blend of hops. It's a fruit forward beer with some, pine undertones and citrus so we can't deviate from that and so coming up with a with an another ipa allows us to try to some of these uh more interesting um unique cops that are new and uh so it was a fun way to explore the that um um uh genre of beer you know i i went out to uh, my daughter was living in Vermont, so when we were out visiting her, I went and uh, visited John at the Alchemist, and sure. um, uh, he's just a really creative, uh, energetic, uh, kind brewer, and he he spent time with me around the brewery, and he talked about you know this whole New England IPA, and <laughs> certainly that wasn't his intent to come up with a style, and certainly. Most of the New England IPAs are not in this original Alchemist Hetty Topper style. Hetty Topper is a very unique beer. So in some ways, the New England IPA is more, say, extremely popular uh, because millennials grew up drinking juice boxes, in my opinion. So, um, I no, it's true. No, you're uh, not wrong. I just, yeah. you know, as Gen X, I'm I'm delighted by that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but in any event, there's nothing wrong with that beer. They're great. I, I love them. Uh, but, but I wanted to, I was more inspired by, um, by John, uh, to brew, a, a type of beer in that, in that genre. You know, I was at Orval Brewery many, many years ago and, uh, Jean-Marie Rock, uh, the brewmaster at that time, also a very outgoing, creative person he said, why, why are you Americans always trying to copy my, my beer? Why don't you make your own beer? And so um, that, that struck me and it stuck with me yeah. that uh, I can't make, I can't copy Orval, although we're not talking about that type of beer. And I can't copy Hetty Topper, but I certainly can be inspired by them. And that was kind of the idea for uh, a strong IPA. More in just a minute, but first, thanks to the companies that help keep the mics hot around here. Athletic Brewing Company's innovative process allows them to brew great tasting craft beer without the alcohol. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six packs or more. New customers can also get 10% off of their entire order with code BEEREDGE10, limit one per customer. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And now back to my conversation with Daniel Carey of New Glarus Brewing Company. Your beer has been, I think, seminal in 
the education of so many, not only beer drinkers, but also professional brewers uh, uh, over the years. Wow. Thanks. I didn't know that. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, I would love for somebody to try to refute me on that, but um, uh, with the inspiration, inspiration just sort of sparked that in my mind of what do you hope your beers then inspire in, you know, other professionals, people who are coming up, you know, if you think about that conversation uh, that those conversations that you've had in the past are trying to be inspired by, where do you want people to find, or where do you hope they find inspiration in the beers that you're making? Uh, okay. Well, um, I, 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 I can say that um, um, I, I've had uh, beers that people will bring me, say, a bourbon barrel stout, for example. And uh, they'll say, you know, at a festival, and they'll hand me a glass, you know, pre-COVID, say, here, you know, they'll have a glass of dark stout, and they'll say, here, taste this. And I'll take a sip of it and wow, that beer, that beer tastes like German chocolate cake. That is like, that's the best beer I've ever had. And they'll say, here, take a bottle. And I'll, I'll take a, you know, a 12 ounce bottle home, but I'll get about halfway through it. And I'll think, you know, it's really a beautiful beer, but half a bottle is enough for me. I think I'm done. I'll check it off the list and move on. And th- that's fine when you're a small tap room and you know, you've got a 10, 10 barrel tank and, and, and that's it. But um, to make a sustainable brewery and our vision, Deb's vision has always been more Germanic in the, or European in the sense that we'd like to be around for 300 years. So yeah. beer has to be drinkable. And my philosophy has always been that, you know, having worked for Budweiser, uh, uh, Budweiser or, or beer like Bud or Coors, it's eminently drinkable on a hot on a hot summer day. It's they're beautiful, but they're really not that complex. They're kind of kind of uh, I don't want to say boring, but they're kind of uh, boring. Uh, yeah, they're not they're not impactful. And then okay. on the other end of the spectrum, you have these you know bourbon barrel stouts that are very impactful, but they lack drinkability. So the, the dream is, is to brew a beer that has, that is a marriage of both of those so that it's, it's something that you, uh, uh, is Moorish, gasufic, uh, uh, drinkable, um, or digestible like the Belgians say, so that when you drink a pint and you look and you're sad that your glass is empty, as opposed to, you're sitting in a pub and you're halfway through your glass and you're like, Oh my God, I got another half a glass to go. The dream is, is to make a beer that when the glass is empty, you're sad. So what that means is it has to be drinkable, digestible. It's a type of beer, John, you know, you, you drink a yeah. beer and you're like every, every sip is a little bit different. And every sip is a discovery. Like, wow, now I taste banana. Wow. Now I taste peach. Um, those, uh, those beers are really hard to make. But that's what you should aim for. This idea of trying to be louder and bigger and more brass, brash, is uh, maybe, uh, you know, the youthful exuberance of America, but maybe a Belgian, uh, a, a double or, or a, a German Hellas is more to my liking in the sense that you want beers that are, uh, 
really drinkable. And I think that that is what people should aim for subtlety, subtlety of beer and less um, about the uh, um, loudest voice, highest BUs, highest alcohol, yeah, or whatever the big numbers might be. So subtlety, you have mentioned now, I think it twice, maybe three times uh, that you just want to make pilsners and the, yeah. the, you know that the, yeah. the the other folks there will give you 20 barrels to to to, to fool around with yeah um what is what's the perfect pilsner in your mind or one that you want to create that people connect with in the way that you were just talking about you know, subtlety and nuance and well this um drinkability uh well, Pilsner is a, is a big subject and there are many, many, many different types of Pilsners and it's, I'm conflicted. If, if, if I go to like Prague and go to a pub and drink um, Pilsner Urquell, the first glass, it, it's, it's so bitter that it's kind of like knocks me out of the chair. Like, oh my God, this is a bitter beer. But then you get about halfway through the glass and it's a lot like hot sauce. The more you drink, the more you crave. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it's really easy uh, to, 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 to overindulge such a beer because it's really, really good. But the problem with that beer is, is that's what the Czech people are accustomed to. That's what they want. And maybe they might say, Oh, Budvar. Yeah. Budvar. If you, if you're in Pilsen or, or, Prague, maybe you say, uh, Budvar's too sweet. It's too sweet for me. I prefer uh, Pilsner Urquell. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is it depends on what your goal is with the beer. But me personally, um, uh, I like a little bit of hop note, um, but not too much because if a beer is heavily dry hopped, it doesn't have a good shelf life. And as I mentioned, I need to stock away five cases for future consumption. Sure. And so um, I think, you know, this idea that um, like uh, Bevo pills that uh, Matt Brindelson makes that's inspired by the Italians uh, to have a, a mini amount of dry hopping, I think is really, really nice. Um, uh, also, um, uh, for a Pilsner, um, I think the type of malt is important. Malt is, to me, uh, more interesting than hops because... Even if you talk about Pills malt, there are many, many types. Every maltster is different. There are subtle differences between varieties. Um, how you mash, you use, I think, double decoction is 100% hands down the way to make a Pilsner. Um, uh, you know, when I read homebrew recipes, they say German Pills malt. I, well, <laughs> they're all different. Um, okay. It's not like the difference between special B and uh, Munich malt, but it's, it's enough that it makes a difference if you're trying to make the perfect Pilsner. But for me in the end, uh, it's, it's a Pilsner that's 12 and a half, 12 degrees Play-Doh, um, double decoction, 35 IBUs, six week lagering, just to kind of to straddle maybe the line between a German and a Czech Pils. Um, check pills are maybe a little bit under attenuated, uh, and, and 
uh, German pills are maybe a little bit over attenuated. So mm. somewhere in the middle is what I'm hoping for. Malty, malty and with a malt forward with a nice crisp hop bite at the end and that herbally lemon spicy taste of hops, uh, Saz hops or Tetanang or Spalt or Lublin that have that. People ask me, why do I like Saz hops? Well, I, for lack of a better term, they taste like beer. Um, so Saz are great hops. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, I think that's really accurate when it comes to, to sauce. Like it, I can't imagine it in anything else. And it is so, yeah, it, it's such an important part of those beers. Um, yes. Yes. When you were talking about, you know, that first sip of Pilsner or Cal and, you know, getting to, to, to the halfway mark and all of that, and these sort of expectations that, the more pints we have or the more mugs we have over time, uh, we develop these relationships and these expectations with, with, with the beers. Um, it reminded me of something that you said at the, at, at, at the top of this conversation of um, putting out seasonals and the expectations of the seasonals. And it's not just that it's going to be on shelves for people, but oftentimes these are linked to, you know, specific times of year, specific memories, uh, specific activities. Um, it seems like there'd, there'd be a lot on your brewer's shoulders of trying to nail that beer the same way each year. Um, but also trying to improve it in your own mind of, you know, as you were saying before, going back through your notes and okay, what did this do last year and how can we do this better? Um, how do you balance that? of expectation <laughs> versus execution, especially for something that only does come around once a year. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real problem is a lot of angst around that. Uh, we have a joke in the brewery. There used to be an advertisement for a national pizza chain that the recipe was laminated. Uh, you know, so in other words, it's don't, no changes. So the yeah. joke around the brewery is that when a recipe, when we drink a beer and uh, we say we make our totally naked American style Pilsner and it's like we nailed it. OK, that recipe's laminated. And what that means is that's code from all of my team members, all of my uh, managers in the brewery, meaning, Dan, don't tweak it because I have a tendency always Whenever I taste one of our beers, I say, uh, I think it could be a little bit more fruity. Ah, do you think it's too bitter? Do you think it's under attenuated? Maybe we should change our mashing procedure. And this causes everybody, marketing people and brewers, a lot of angst because I'm always wanting to tweak to make the beer better. So I have to work very, very hard to um, be cautious in uh in changes so if a beer is really really good uh normally i won't touch it now th there's that and then the second thing is is crops change uh malts change raw materials change for example we make a spotted cow grand crew with uh and we use orange peels oh well the orange peels that we really like sorry you can't get them this year oh my gosh what are we going to do so we have uh, particularly now with COVID, availability of raw materials is sketchy. So if a given raw material is unavailable, 
how do we emulate that flavor with something different? And that opens up a whole nother Pandora's box of angst and testing to try to emulate the flavor. But the dream is that the beer doesn't really change. But I, I always, my, what I try to say is, is we want to make the beer look like itself, like you're dressed up to go to church on Sunday in your best clothes and your hair is combed. You're the same person that you were on Saturday in your sweatpants, but now you're, you're tricked out and ready, ready to go. And what I mean by that is, is I want the beer to be a little bit crisper, a little bit faster, a little bit brighter, a little bit more complex. And that's done by little subtle changes. Like maybe we should change the pitch rate or our wort aeration, or maybe we should lower our mashing temperature, or maybe we should up the BUs by, by two. So the changes are baby steps, um, but it makes the beer taste really, really much better. To give you an example, two yeah, years ago, we, um, we make a, our Oktoberfest, Staghorn Oktoberfest beer. That's, mm-hmm. that's, people really look forward to that, and we sell a lot of it. And uh, two years ago, COVID was hot and heavy, and we were trying to keep everybody socially distanced in the brewery, and we were having you know, difficulty keeping people safe. And it's a double decoction, and we make a lot of it. So it would have meant that we would have had a lot of extra innings of brewing uh, hours in the week brewing this beer. And so we opted to make the beer with a step infusion because it saved, you know, a couple of shifts or more a week in time. And the beer, the beer was good. The beer was Staghorn Oktoberfest, mm-hmm. but, you know, it just did not, it just did not have that Sunday go to meet and crispness about it. And the shelf life was slightly diminished. So that gives you an example of how a change can have a consequence that you wouldn't imagine that it would. So it's a dangerous game because people have expectations for flavor. And sometimes it's hard to really understand what it is about it. But at least for me, I rely on Deb because Deb is, is a super taster. I'm not. So I will ask her, what is it about this beer that people like, or I'll make a pilot brew. And if I make a change and I think I'm, I'm doing something great, I'll make a pilot brew. And she'll say, no, this is awful. Use your, <laughs> use your, well, she, you know, Deb, she's not, she doesn't, she says what she means and means yeah. what she says. But I rely on her <laughs> to keep me on the straight and narrow because sometimes the subtleties of flavor, why people like a beer are, uh, difficult for me to wrap my head around yeah has there been a beer in your professional career i know we were sort of talking about this just a little bit earlier on uh in in one way but has there been a beer that you were exceptionally excited to get out to people and <laughs> the reception wasn't it, it wasn't good it wasn't bad it was just kind of you know there um, but didn't didn't get the reception that maybe you were hoping for. Is, is is there a beer that lives in your mind of one that you wished people had flocked to a little bit more? Well, uh, yeah, I would say that probably happens more than I'd like, but I can yeah. give you more of an extreme example. Um, uh, you know, the, the idea of um, Flemish sour brown beers 
like Rodenbach mm-hmm. uh, came, uh, really came about, as you probably know, are really descended from porters. So, you know, during the, um, uh, uh, when, when, the, when uh, um, England was led the world, um, uh, you know, 150 years ago in the Victorian times and porter was king, course your uh, continental brewers from all over the continent would go to europe go to uh britain and and, and study brewing and and that's where this uh, um uh roadblock type of beer came from and and there was writings by um uh, uh an englishman uh, by the name of wheeler who wrote a really good history of of how these sour brown beers came about and i was really intrigued by this idea so i went about making a sour porter in the style of what would have been made 150 years ago. And um, I made this beer that was uh, lactic with a, just a, a mini touch of acetic character mm-hmm. and uh, dark brown and, or dark black and sweet and rich and malty. And I just thought it was the greatest beer ever. And, um, but, um, you know, naming beers, uh, we, 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 it's my fault, but we ended up calling the beer Old English Porter, which is, in my opinion, I would argue is correct. Sure, seems accurate. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah, so so we right. made this beer Old English Porter, and we had it on tap at our local in New Glarus, and I would go there at night and drink it, pints of it, and think, man, this beer is just so good. But I can tell you that the amount of emails and letters we got from people was shocking that I remember one guy wrote and said, I used to live uh, in the North of England and there's this beautiful uh, porter from Tadcaster, Sam Smith. And I, I thought that I was getting that beer and dude, this beer is infected. It's spoiled. You need to pull it off the market. It's gone south. And I, I gave up trying to get people to understand what I was trying to do. So we, we literally recalled the beer and brought it back into the brewery and we sold it out of our gift shop. And we took, we, we made a poster with a, with a person, a man holding his hand out, like stop, like, like you, like you see for at, at stoplights. Yeah. It, it said, no, do danger. Do not buy this beer. It is, it, it's, it's a sour beer and a description of what it is and why it was brewed that way. And I think within a month, we sold all of that beer out of the gift shop and people loved it. So it was simply um, a lack of communication. Yeah. Sour beer is always a difficult sell. Even to this day, most people uh, are resistant to a sour beer, but year by year, it becomes more um, accepted. So so maybe now uh, with the proper name, the beer would, would do well, but yeah, for that, it, it was kind of shocking. It was shocking. Is so you brew with a lot of fruits and you've used other ingredients in your beers, uh, over the years. Is, is there one that you, uh, an ingredient that you enjoy coming back to again and again? Whew. Um, well, you know, we, we talked about chocolate a little bit. Yeah. By, yeah. By I wanted email. to, yeah. I wanted to lead into that. Yeah. But, uh, I would say that for me, probably raspberries and cherries, uh, peaches, uh, although peaches are really tough, uh, to brew with. How so? Um, uh, well, huh, huh, 
there's not a lot of flavor there. Uh, peaches are to, to, to emulate the taste of a, um, uh, um, biting into a ripe peach when the juice runs down your chin, uh, that flavor is really hard to end up, end up getting in a beer because it's all about the volatiles. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, when you, when you ferment out peaches and all of those essences blow out the top of the fermenter and yeah. you end up with, uh, the sugar being fermented out, it's, it's really no different than working with, uh, um, uh, neutral apples. So it's oh, a hard, it's a hard fruit to work with. Um, but I, I would say those are the three biggest fruits. So I guess you could say that traditional lambic style fruits. I, I learned to make fruit beer by traveling to Belgium in the 1980s is yeah. where I first studied fruit beer. So uh, cherry, Montmorency cherries, uh, Oregon red raspberries um, in particular um, are, are, are fun to work with, are always winners. And you mentioned chocolate again. Um and, and I have these two beers in front of me and I, I realize I, so I have the two beers, I have two glasses and I realize that the Bach is emptying a little bit faster than the stout. Um, <laughs> uh, but to be clear, both of these are made with chocolate as well as, uh, as well as malt like that, to accent. Yes, chocolate. that's right. Okay. That's okay. right. That's right. So, I mean, brewing with chocolate is, I imagine has its own difficulties. Um, yes. but putting out two different styles of beer with a similar ingredient, um, around the same time, were you looking for the experience of the, you know, the beer nerd like me to have both of them at the same time, side by side, was this just while we have a, an abundance of fruit and chocolate and we have some free tank space cause Pilsner's not selling. What, what was the idea <laughs> behind two chocolate beers at once uh it it was it was not a deliberate a marketing decision it was <laughs> simply a uh coincidence i would say um uh two ideas two separate ideas for a beer that converged um the blueberry uh uh beer was meant to be brewed uh, was on the schedule for 2020. And so uh, we bought fruit and we froze it because we have a big freezer that we keep our fruit and hops in. But COVID um, put the kibosh on it because sure. uh, we, we couldn't, uh, we had to, we had to streamline our message to our wholesalers and retailers. So it got put on hold. And so I had all of this frozen fruit sitting there. And I said, I, I got to make this beer um, or I want to make this beer because this fruit's expensive and it's just sitting there. Um, and the other beer was simply an idea that we had um, and uh, to make a, uh, uh, a fruity Bach beer for, you know, for Christmas time. And um, that idea came a year later, but they just kind of ended up bumping into each other near the end of the calendar, um, not on purpose. And the use of chocolate in those beers is simply because um, when we brewed the beers, we said, you know, uh, I think these beers would benefit from just a hint of chocolate. So we wanted to have enough 
chocolate that you could taste the chocolate, but it's yeah. not a chocolate beer. It's part of the fabric. So and that's and that's the thing where you were saying before, you know, somebody makes a, a beer that tastes like German chocolate cake, and boy, it tastes like German chocolate cake. The, the the fruit comes forward in both of these beers first. The base beers are still there. And then the chocolate just kind of dances around the edge. And I forget yeah. for a couple of sips. And then all of a sudden it reappears again in a uh in a really fun, wonderfully subtle way. So as as you're saying early on about thinking about beer, um, this is one that is actually quite a bit of fun. It's a, it, it's a fun mental exercise as well. As oh, good. Well, I'm good happy that palate. you say yeah. that because that was the idea is, is not to, not to add so much chocolate that it becomes um, loud. You want it to just be part of the subtlety of the background. You mentioned the, the human, yeah. the human palate is, is delighted by complexity, whether it's in music or writing I mean, uh, you, you can certainly read a story, you know, uh, Johnny went to the store, but a well-written story will tell you a lot about it. You imagine it in your mind and that's delightful. And it's the same with music. You know, sometimes you listen to music and, and there are, there are instruments in the background or rhythms or, or vocals that, uh, are complex and subtle. And, uh, it's the same with beer. It, it makes it, it makes it enjoyable. I mean, you know. Life is kind of kind of mundane and boring and hard, and to have these things is is delights. It delights like childhood. <laughs> I I don't disagree with any of that. Um, being mindful of your time, and uh, I don't want to keep you much longer. But you mentioned before about uh, having a, a a brewery that would last three hundred years, and and having a vision um, for that is. New Glarus at the end of 2021 going into 2022. Is this the vision of the brewery that you wanted when you started? Uh, no, it would be in beyond, beyond the, the, the realm of, of what, what our, what our experiences and knowledge would tell us when we started the brewery uh, in 1993, Deb and I were 33 years old and, um, Deb said, you know, you're really, your temperament and your skill uh, and your appetite is such that you should really run your own brewery. So let's, let's do it. Let's try it. And, and so we thought we're 33 years old. We're old enough that we can take this on, but we're young enough that if it, we fall flat, we can start a new career. So I figured we would last three years because I had worked in the brewing business for 10 years before that. And, and I saw, I knew how hard it was, how difficult and how, how high the failure rate was. So I knew that there was a good chance we wouldn't make it. So it was just simply about survival, about um, a livelihood, about, you know, putting food on the table. Uh, and th as we became successful, then um, we noticed that a lot of things that happened to us, although we worked really, really hard, and luck um, comes to those who work hard. Like Deb says, uh, uh, good luck. Uh, most people miss good luck because it sh usually shows up in work clothes or in, in coveralls. Yeah. Um, so, but, but we've been extremely lucky um, in, 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 our, in our good fortune and in our bad fortune. So 
Deb, uh, particularly Deb, but both of us think, what does this mean? Why is this happening? What's, what's expected of us? And, you know, pe- people have uh, a karmatic beliefs and religious beliefs, but, but what to us, it means that we have to, we, it, we have an expectation, we're being called. So this brewery is about a community. It's a community of employees. It's about the village of New Glarus. And so we have an expectation to uh, create a situation, not like a vulture capitalist, but a creator that will create something that will sustain uh, our team, our employees, and our and help sustain our village going forward. So it's not that the, that the we own the brewery; the brewery owns us, and it's like a farmer or a rancher. We have an obligation to play it forward. It's more of a European. Uh, idea. You know, I spent a lot of time in Europe and I spent a lot of time with German brewers, European brewers, and they take great pride in saying, this is a fifth generation brewery. Here's my son and here's my grandson, and I will keep the brewery strong. I'll put in a new brew house so my son won't have to do it. And maybe my grandson will have to do it. And, and uh, it's a different mentality. It's not about the next quarter. It's about the next century. I've been asking folks on the show. Um, I've mentioned that my wife and I have been uh, rewatching, or we we were for a while, uh, rewatching the television show The Good Place. And there's a concept on the show uh, where you can walk through a green door and be anywhere uh, with anybody at uh, any point in history. Um, if such technology existed on this plane of existence, and you could walk through a green door as this conversation ends, and go to a pub uh, anywhere with anybody. Um, where would you go? Who would you be with? Oh, man. Boy, that's a tough question. Um, huh. There's so many, so many interesting people in the past. I guess um, I would really be interested in, uh, I guess, off the cuff, uh, uh, the Brewmaster Grohl from uh, uh, the Pilsner Urquell Brewery to, 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 to really understand what was happening in the 1840s when uh, that brewery started, because I have a suspicion that he was a small, he was not the genius that he's led to believe. I think he was uh, um, at the right place at the right time. And um, there was probably a group of investors that had this idea and dumb luck uh, and his skill, of course, led to the creation of the greatest beer style in the world. So I would love to hear the real story, not the myth of how that beer came about. That'd be a fascinating story for sure. Um, well, ending on Pilsner, I think is a, is, is, is a pretty great, uh, great thing. If you, if you haven't already done uh, your big sales meeting with everybody, um, you can you can put in the votes from from me and everybody listening to the show uh, for more Pilsner and certainly more Rauch beer in twenty twenty two. Yeah, Rauch beer is uh, I never would have guessed in a million years. It's uh, it's it it it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So can you send uh, yeah. me a link? Can you send I, me a link to that uh, group? I'd love abs- to kind of see what they're chattering about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, everybody will be excited to to have you talking Rauch beer uh, with everybody. But um, yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks again for, for, for doing this and for taking the time and for, for being on the show. Yeah. And thanks for including me, John. I appreciate your uh, great questions. Do you have a new glass beer that isn't spotted cow that you fondly remember or wish that you could have more of? 
let me know about it. You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com. Or you can join me on social media. I'm on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And when will a new glare smoke beer hit the market? Be among the first to find out and then talk about it. Join the Smoked Beer Conversation with other enthusiasts on the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook page or on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. Thanks, as always, to the folks who help keep the mics hot around here, including Athletic Brewing Company. Their innovative process allows them to brew great tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. New customers can also get 10% off their entire order with code BEEREDGE10, limit one per customer. And NZ Hops is a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. Quick reminder to check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast drops on the 15th of every month. Back here, Nate Schweber performs our theme music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>